Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 44. I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Masson, who is product manager at Jaguar UK. Welcome to Review, Andy. I'd like to start off by asking, what does a Jaguar UK product manager do? Uh, hello. Uh, well, I sit within the um, marketing department of Jaguar UK. Um, I'm one of uh, nine people within my team. Uh, we grandiosely look after what's called the, uh, the, the market equation for the UK. Uh, which basically means looking at uh, what the competitors are doing, what the marketplace is doing, uh, and trying to come up with the, uh, the kind of pricing and mix that will deliver the targets that uh, we've been given uh, by the business. Um, we uh, we are kind of the interface between the UK organisation and the JLR globally. Mm-hmm. So we are effectively, uh, if you like, the, uh, their, their customers, mm-hmm. but we are also part of the, the, the global organization. Um, so, we, uh, so we work as the interface between uh, the, the, the manufacturing division, as you like, and, uh, and the UK retailers. Um, so to manage the information flow both ways. Excellent. Well, we will dive a bit more into that uh, further down the line. But let's let's start as I as I like to by going back in the mists of time and finding out uh, exactly when you first got interested in cars. Uh, when do you know when that was, or are you told regaled around winter winter <laughs> fires by the family as they all giggle? And say, oh, do you remember when? Uh, I, I actually came to cars uh, fairly late, actually. Um, I, I think I must have had probably one of the most unremarkable uh, car histories from, from anybody in the, uh, in, in the industry. Um, uh, cars never really featured that much in our family life when, we were, when I was growing up. I think we started off with a Mark I Escort. And then we had a Datsun 120Y in what could generously be uh, described as uh, mustard brown. Um, <laughs> then, then we had a bright yellow Austin Allegro, which, oh, wow. which is what I learned to, to drive in. It, it wasn't the one with the, the square steering wheel, as I, as I recall. Um, <laughs> then, what have we had there? then we had a Mark one Astra, then um, what did I go into next? Um, oh, and then we had a. Uh, my sister and I shared a, uh, a Renault Five at university, um, but it, we, I didn't really get start to get interested in cars until it got to the time when I was thinking about going for my driving test and, and actually being able to drive one of these things. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's kind of 15, 16 years old. Um, yeah. when we were growing up it, it did used to sort of kind of play with cars and Lego and Meccano and all that sort of all that sort of thing but uh, proper grown up cars didn't feature all that heavily uh, mm. as it were so what what interested you in the car industry then if was it was it more of a business point of view um, no I mean actually I, I, I almost fell into it by accident um, I studied uh, engineering and then um, computers uh, at university 
And one of my first jobs was working for a, a multimedia company in Nottingham at the kind of start of the dot-com boom. Um, on one of my clients was International Motors, who had the the franchises for Subaru, uh, Isuzu, and Daihatsu in the UK at the time. Mm. Um, and and I was doing their website for them along with the rest of the team. And um, as the more we got into it, the more I found I needed to get into the kind of the knowledge of the cars. Uh, and how they worked and how you could then kind of get that across in the website. And I worked at that media company for about four years and I thought eventually it was time to, to change, by which point I completely bought into the the Subaru um, ethos of how they did things and uh, and the why they build the vehicles the way they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Indoctrinated, I think, is the term. Yes, yeah, very <laughs> much so, yes. Um, and at the time, of course, they were, they were doing fantastically well with world rallying um, yeah. and sort of dominating that scene. So that was a fantastically interesting uh, time to, to be in, involved with them. Uh, and at the end of um, kind of the four years that I I was on a night out with a friend of mine who who worked for Subaru and I said, oh, I want to leave this company. Why don't you take me on directly? And he thought about it briefly and went, that's a brilliant idea. And it then uh, kind of more from there. And then went to work for them directly. Again, mm-hmm. doing the website. Um, but I found that in the, in the course of having to put all the data together and all the information together the website, I was effectively doing the product manager role. And, and after a, a couple of years, they uh, that's what I ended up doing officially. It became the, the product manager for the Subaru and Andy Suzu. Mm-hmm. And, and it just kind of uh, went from there, um, from doing the websites and, and looking at the competitor analysis. We then got into uh, looking after special editions for, for Subaru particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I got to do some really interesting ones like um, I think the first one was the, the WR1, which was the last of the, the two litres. Uh, the, uh, the pale pale blue one, that was good. Um, mm-hmm. Then I think the, probably the most rewarding one I did was um, the RB320, the Richard Burns Memorial Edition. Mm. And, and and that was fantastic for for many reasons. A, it was a brilliant car, but also, I I think we got the tone of it right. It was uh, an exciting car to drive, but it kind of caught the um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it kind of caught the spirit of of, uh, of what Richard Burns had done, and mm. and, and we and we. Spent quite a bit of time talking to to Alex Burns, Richard's dad, and also Robert Reed, and they were involved in the well and kind of gave us their blessing. And I've, I've got a picture somewhere of, of us handing over vehicle 001 to um, to Alex Burns, um, mm. which was which was really good. Um, so that, that was a really interesting. That, mu- that must have been one of those times where you go, yeah, going into work is this is a good day. Oh yeah. If you if you can do something like that and and hand over to uh anybody that closely involved you know closely associated with someone like that you know let alone the family and they're supporting what you do and you can say you know look here there you go there's there's the first one that that must be 
must be quite a. a I don't want to get too twee about it because I, I don't want to uh, denigrate it in any way, you know, because it's just, it's a very special and very uh, could be potentially a tricky time. But this that must be a really good feeling and make you really quite um, positive about the job and and the and the stuff you're doing on a day like that. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I remember when we we, we first unveiled it. Um, we were doing a, a customer day at um, the Pro Drive facility at Fen End in Warwickshire, and the, the people that were there just on a regular driving day, and we said, "Well, actually, mm. let's let's show them the car and see what it's like." And we took the covers off it, and it just got a spontaneous round of applause. And I think, oh, okay, we, we we might have got this one right. Um, yeah, because with cars, it's not it doesn't always elicit. Uh, a very raw emotional reaction like that, mm, mm. you know, because they're not, you know, it's difficult to have them associated with it until after they're out and then they, they can develop it. But, you know, as, as an initial unveil, well, that, that's, that's, um, that's really cool. I have to say. Yeah. So, so that was one of those days thinking, ah, yes, this makes up for all the late nights and the, mm. uh, and the, the poor hours and stuff like this and all the, on all the hard work. And it's like, yeah, okay, this is why I do it. So uh, yeah, that 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 was that was very rewarding. Um, what do we do next? Then um, the other one, which was um, which I really enjoyed doing, was the GB two seventy, mm-hmm. um, which was the uh, we did a uh, strange enough a, a blue vehicle with gold wheels. Um, <laughs> but then, but then we anyone would be sensing a theme by now. Yes. Uh, but then, then we also did um, uh, a grey wagon as well, and we'd never done a, a, a special edition wagon, and that went down mm. really, really well. So that that was very pleasing. Uh, and then there there are a few more uh, things like that. But um, and I got to go and visit um, the head office in uh, in Japan a few times. Uh, we got to go and drive new vehicles at the uh, Fuji's uh, Fuji being uh, Subaru's parent company they've got a mm-hmm. secret test track in the middle of uh, in the middle of the uh, the Japanese mountains um, so we got to go and drive cars there occasionally which was oh, which was well, another brilliant. tough day for you yeah it was <laughs> awful so you want me to drive this lovely car around this secret test track go on then <laughs> Only because I'm being polite. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so that that was that was really good fun, and, and uh, I have to say, having the chance to visit Japan was just brilliant because it's not something I, I'd been able to, to do otherwise. No. Mm. Um, so, so that that was that was brilliant, um, and then so I'd spent I think just over ten years at, at International Motors. Um, and I thought, I think time for a change. It's 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 a very flat organisation. It's it's a very small, uh, it's a kind of tight um, management team. There's probably a core team is probably around a dozen, maybe a couple of dozen people. Um, so, but there wasn't a lot of mobility, as it were. Um, and I fancied a change as well. And then the um, the role at um, JLR came up. Uh, and this was at the, this would have been October 2012. So, uh, XE. So we're deep into Tata ownership. Uh, I, yes. Although, I mean, 
we were I'm trying to think um, we, the, the, the turnaround had, had, had started by then and this was in kind of we just had the mid cycle facelift for XF the XF uh, the previous version of XF mm -hmm. we were still doing XK so we had actually then had the three vehicles at the time so it was XF XK and XJ um, but this was pre F type uh, pre XE even mm -hmm. um, and I was brought on board to uh, kind of take XE through to launch and to manage the run out and of run out of uh, old XF and run in of the new XF. Um, okay. And, it, and it's not, so, not often you get a chance to um, launch a completely new vehicle in your career. So it was like, yes, absolutely, I'm, I'm on board for that. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, so when when you land, how far down the the pipeline, the the magical Jaguar pipeline, was the XE when you turned up? There are three. Uh, at least at the time, there were three main gateways, as they're called. There's PS, which is uh, no PSC, Program Start Confirmation, which is quite a long way out. That's typically about three years out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a higher level of input. Is the program going to work generally? So they're like, like a feasibility study type? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, that had just happened. So then the okay. next one is PA, program approval. And that is kind of getting you down to the, the nitty gritty. How many are you going to sell? At what price? What trim levels? What's your option offtake going to be? What are you going to charge for your options and things like this? And you you are directly involved in that that helping to work that out and that sort of stuff, are you? Yes, that's that's one of the okay. main things we do in the product team. We coordinate the uh, responses from the UK uh, business as a whole back into the centre with uh, inputting how how many cars we're going to sell at what price and. Um, and basically coming up with the market equation, as, as I mentioned earlier. So you're, you're, say, you're saying along the lines of, uh, in this trim, we expect to sell this many, but at that trim, we people will expect this sort of option on it. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's the, the okay, right. So it's like configuration and expectations and that sort of, okay, right. Yes. I'm, I'm good. See, I, I don't know. So if I'm if I'm asking what appears like a dumb question, do I do apologize, but you know, I'm, I'm not been in car manufacturing, so I'm not sh I'm really not sure how um, what's who is involved in all these different things that have to decisions that have to be made. You see, mm. so hence my uh, picking away at things. No, no, that's <laughs> that, that's fine. So, um, so we we were we were about halfway between PSC and and PA. Um, so one of the the, the first tasks uh, I kind of really got my teeth into was was getting um, uh, XE through PA, um, mm -hmm. uh, which was which was good fun. And at the same time, we were, we were trying to manage the, the run out of uh, the old XF as well. Mm. Uh, um, and that was at the time we were introducing the, uh, the 163 PS diesel engine, the low power diesel engine with the, the, the efficient one. So there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that goes on to 
to justify to build a business case to the organization as to why we should do this um and at the time uh, one of the the, the fiscal measures that are applied to uh, companies generally, something called the write down allowance, which determines how uh, how tax efficient a vehicle is for them, was changing. And it meant if we didn't yep. do anything, then then a lot of our vehicles were then going to be, would drop off of fleet lists and we'd see a reduction in sales and yada, yada, yada. Yep. So um, we had to make a, a case to the business to say, well, if you give us a uh, an xf that comes in at a 129 grams or below then we'll give you x number of extra sales or we will keep a certain number of, uh, of a, a certain number of sales and if you don't then we're going to lose this many sales and this much money mm-hmm. uh, because obviously the business uh, has to make an, an investment in new technology and and, and uh, staffing and production and everything else to uh, and development to get these new engines in so because at, at the time it, it please correct me if i'm if i'm wrong here but at the time jaguar uh, uh outsourcing engines or some of the engine stuff yes yeah we didn't we didn't manufacture um any of our own engines at the time just to just to add to the complication mm. of things here yes yeah, absolutely so <laughs> for everything because so <laughs> you know, it, it's hard enough to make an engine but then if you've got to go and find someone who's making an engine that'll work <laughs> As you need it to. Yeah, so so we were using the the two point two four cylinder diesel from from Ford, which I think was came out of Bridgend. Um, we we were using that, and so we had to go and talk to Ford and say, right, okay, well, we need one which is, emits five or six grams of CO two less and whatever else, and then then say, oh, okay, well, we can do it, but you can only have it on seventeen inch wheels or that sort of thing. So there was a lot of toing and froing try and make this business case uh but well that i mean actually that just that little comment you just said there about uh you know but it needs to be on 17 inch wheels that's something that we the general public don't appreciate we would have no idea that you know there are it's not just as simple as we'll make the engine and that'll sort it. Mm. it it's the whole car it really is the the whole car and and the uh interconnection of all the parts together to help make you know, it fit in whatever bracket it is you're trying to make it fit in. It's it's not just a simple thing of, oh, we get a bigger engine or we get a smaller engine. It's not just that. I mean, they, they obviously have a massive impact on, say, emissions or some things like that. But, uh, you know, just general members of the public won't realise that it's like, ah, oh, okay, well, that's why I can't typically get those spinners on that <laughs> wheel as, a, as an option in the catalogue, uh, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so it, it, it is interesting to hear that because cause we, we, we just wouldn't appreciate that otherwise. It, it's not, I think, I think the main point I'm trying to get across with, with all the, the rear views is it's really complicated making a car. Yes, yeah. I mean, there are some people out there, some companies perhaps, that try and make it out that it's dead easy and it can happen overnight. And that's not quite the case. Uh, no, it's absolutely. It, it is. It is very complicated, and the latest um, safety standards and regulatory standards make means it's very expensive and very complicated to uh, to make a car these days or, or bring it to market. Um, uh, and it can't help if the political uh, political winds suddenly change direction like they have in the last eighteen months. 
Yes. In in such an aggressive manner as well, because there is, for the sake of, you know, just talking about diesels here, there has been such a backlash against diesels that has been picked up and the, the, the flames have been fanned and things have been encouraged and people are making statements and comments without... I'm going to be nice and say without realising the implications of these statements that it makes people get twitchy. And that, that, I mean, that must be so difficult as a car manufacturer when you're sitting there and you're hearing all sorts of different reports. They're going to be massively taxed. They're not. The, you know, cities are now getting involved and throwing their weight around and saying, well, you know, if you're going to have a diesel, you're going to be penalised. And it doesn't matter if it's one of the new ones which meet the regulations that everybody's agreed to will still penalize you and and you because you guys have built business cases year as you've just explained years in advance and then suddenly someone's almost flipping a switch and you've got to do not exactly 180 degree turn but you've you've suddenly said well hang on <laughs> we've just been left out to dry here a little bit and, and i understand that is for anyone who's going to then say, well, that's business. Yes, it is business. And we are all at the whim of politicians and regulations changing. But usually in such a industry as a car industry, there is a bit of a lead up to these things. Uh, yes, it is. And, uh, and these kind of last minute or, or short notice changes in direction don't just affect the the car industry. There are, There'll be lots of businesses out there that if we do see... Uh, penalisation of diesel, that it's going to affect their bottom line because they'll have signed up for uh, company cars and leases for three years, maybe four years. If six months into that lease, they, they're the diesel they've just bought or agreed to have on contract for these four years, is suddenly going to cost them an awful lot more. That's going to directly impact their, their bottom line and their profitability. So, it's it's not just the car industry. It's anybody who who uses cars or owns cars for 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 a business that it's going it's going to impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and people are going to appreciate are, are going to get a, a very sharp education on these things when their stuff in the shop starts to cost more mm. because you know people don't have masses of margins. You know, a business's job is to make profit. Therefore, it has to pass certain costs or the majority of costs usually onto the consumer. So, you know, us as the public will pay for that in the end. Yes. yes. Whether once or twice, you know, whether it's through the product or whether it's through our own car. You know? uh, yes. But sorry, yeah. I derailed you there. Sorry. So yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd done PA, uh, which is the middle one that's kind of sets out the, uh, the middle gateway that sets out the kind of the, uh, the, the, the shape of the offering. Um, and then the final one is what's called fold which is final oxo lockdown these are the jlr terms we use um, and the oxo is effectively your it's called an oxo because it's the big chart that with little ticks and crosses on it that say what you do and don't get on different vehicles so it's mm-hmm. called an oxo chart uh, and then uh, and at that point um then the what you go to market with that reveal is then fixed that that's pricing that's spec that's technical data and at that point because you're probably about nine or ten months out from actually taking the covers off the vehicle at geneva or whatever it's going to be um that 
you know exactly what you're building at least you you hope you know exactly what you're building um mm. and at that point it's it's fixed in the business and that's, that's what goes on and that when you get to that you're just tinkering around the edges because it's it's too late to change anything major so you've got tooling in the factory that's already uh organized for this so are we is that the sort of stage that the business is in on, uh, on in the in the manufacturing side of things where it will have the the right machinery in place ready to produce or does that happen how close does that happen to a, a um, reveal it depends a little bit. I mean, certainly by the time you get to fold, the contracts are in place with suppliers. Um, and if the tool isn't, tooling isn't in place, it, it's ordered. Uh, mm-hmm. And people know what they're delivering and you're committed to timescales and anything else. Um, okay. We... Uh, Ahead of reveal, you tend to get a number of different build stages of, of vehicles. So probably one of the earliest that people are likely to see is what's called a what we call a VP, which is a, a verification prototype. So these are very early hand-built vehicles, typically covered in the camouflage. So mm-hmm. if you people see that the spy shots. Uh, that appear in the in the magazines they're probably vp vehicles which we which is why we have kind of prototype all over them all we we cover them as best we can to try and hide them they're very early build uh and um uh the just just out of interest sorry with the camouflage is that uh, is that more to hide it from the public or from competitors um it's a bit of both. Um, obviously, when when we come to market with a with a with a brand new vehicle, we've we, we we invest an awful lot of money in kind of the the drama and the razzmatazz of uh, the reveal of whipping the the red silks off yeah. the, the the car, and we and we we want to kind of keep our powder dry to get the, yeah. the maximum coverage and return on the investment. Um, so partly it is to uh, to keep it hidden from the public, but also uh, we want to uh, we don't want to tip the competition off uh, about mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, uh, yeah, I would imagine, particularly if it's a new a new model, you're hoping to catch them a little bit on the hop. I would presume. Yes, yes, absolutely, because kind of knowledge is power and all that. And if mm-hmm. if, it, if we kind of uh, let it get out what we're up to then um uh, a competitor who's perhaps a little bit ahead of us or has already got a, already got a vehicle in the marketplace could could do something to upset our, our plans or okay or, some, or something like that so we, we're trying to keep our powder dry as, as as much as we can okay yeah that, that's understandable so the um where you see in um magazines or uh on you know sort of the, the bigger um uh, publications in the, in the uk that they get uh sort of what do they call it? is it like a pre-production ride in one or something like that it, that's i would presume that's not in this very early um state hand-built stage of the the uh, pre-production cars it's a bit further down the line of the the, the full process is it uh yes so so we would probably um because the, the next stage on is I'm trying to get this right. Uh, I think it's probably next point. It's, it's TT, 
which could stand for tool trial. So this is perhaps a um, a vehicle which is built in the proper factory, but to but to early uh, uh, um, to a what's the word I'm looking for tolerance. Yes, yes. Uh, basically, so it might be the, the first set of tools they get from the. From the it's not going to be as tight as the final yes. production model somebody buys. Yeah, yes, okay. yeah absolutely. Um, and at that point, we may put um, uh, certain journalists in or uh, get external people in to, to drive them and give, them their, uh, give us their early feedback. So one of the other things we do in the, in the product team is talk to um, residual value setters an awful lot. So these are people yeah. like Cap or Glass or Parkers or Key Resources, things like this. The people who set the residual values for the vehicles, um, not when they are new, but when they're perhaps three or four years old. So. Well, that becomes particularly important now with the, I'm not going to say recent, but the way that it has changed so much over um well, recent-ish years, uh, the buying habits of people where, uh, you know, so much more is bought on PCP and stuff like that, that residual value, I mean, residual values has always been important, but it really is even more so <laughs> with PCPs and stuff like that, as long as people look after them, of course. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, and it can make uh, a, a big difference as well. So you, you can have a a more expensive vehicle with a good residual value to be cheaper on a monthly basis than a cheaper vehicle with a poor residual value. It, it, sound, yeah. it sounds daft, but it does make that much difference. Um, and so we, so we talk to these guys um, typically around a kind of a, a PA stage, so maybe uh, two years, 18 months out from reveal. It's like, oh, this is what this is what we're thinking of doing. Uh, this kind of the price points we're looking at and the, this is how we're going to set the the trim levels uh, and, the, and line up in the engines and things and they'll go well okay you perhaps need to look at this or I probably wouldn't bother with that and we'll then take that and try and build it in mm. they're also very interested in the cost of running the vehicles as well so yeah, yeah. things not so not just fuel economy and co2 but they do come into it but also servicing schedules how much is the servicing actually going to be um uh, so how 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 much are people going to have to spend to keep this car on the road and, it, yeah. and it's just one other variable to throw into this market equation um that we have to try and juggle and uh, uh, and maximize as, as best we can but making cars is easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I did it as a kid with Lego. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, so it's that's uh, an interesting one. That's probably at the stage where where we perhaps get the first chance to drive the vehicles as well, mm. um, and uh, and see the reactions of people outside the business. Um, and that that can be kind of very fulfilling as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we had um, I think it was beginning of last year we had a we had a day where we showed people the um, e-pace. 
Uh, and they weren't expecting it and we took the covers off and it's like wow okay well we weren't expecting that and okay so we, go, Ooh, okay, we might have got this one right then um, and the response was brilliant um, and it was a spontaneous response because th these guys fly all over the world and see new cars literally every week um, it'd be very easy to become blasé to that yes yes absolutely but the, the response that this the 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 e got was was brilliant, and it was it was it kind of gave gave one a bit of a sort of warm and fuzzy feeling. It was uh, that was uh, <laughs> it, it, it was it was very nice. But it's validation to just, just from a very selfish point of view. It, it's it's validation to the hard work you've put in, uh, and the hard work that the teams have put in, all the teams that are involved to get to that point, and then you see somebody's reaction like that. I mean, because I always. I always found that um, when I used to work in architecture, I, I, you know, you would produce something, you know, a physical something that somebody would interact with, and you get to see their reaction to that. And thankfully, it's generally positive. So that's that that's great because that validates the the, the worry, the the considerations you've made, the decisions you've made all along the lines to get to that final point. And working with the team and and giving somebody the thing, and then getting the thing and going, I like this thing. Uh, and that, that is, it, not many jobs allow you that, I don't think. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. It was, it, was, it was the same thing with the, the RB320, that we'd put all this work in, nobody knew about it. And we mm. took the covers off and it round of applause, and oh, this, this is brilliant. That's, that's, that's just, that kind of validated what, what, we have, uh, what we've been working towards. That's, that's exactly the reaction we wanted. Um, and it's, and thankfully, we've we've been getting that quite a bit recently. Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, we 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 can talk about. Um, I mean, I think obviously we we need to talk about. Jackie has been on a bit of a roll lately. You've you've been smidgen busy yeah. out of the old factories when it comes to new models. If we look what the last two three years, it it's been quite a production run of of new cars being released. Uh, um, yeah. When, when are you guys going to get to go to sleep? Uh, <laughs> well, I think we have something called Christmas coming up, and, and, I, and I think I've got Christmas morning off. And, um, <laughs> but uh, then back to the cold. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yes, we, we have we have been pretty busy. Um, I, mean, I mentioned we were back in, but I joined. We, we we were doing three vehicles on on Jaguar. It was XF, XK, and XJ. And then we added XE, then a new XF, and then we added F-Pace. Oh, I've forgotten F-Type as well, which caused a bit of a stir. Um, yeah, one or two people have noticed that. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and we've now just got E-Pace out. Then we've got I-Pace coming next year. Um, the first electric. Yes, so that's, that's another one I'm involved that, That's in. a whole new realm of issues and things to consider uh you know yeah. so obviously people thought you were getting a bit bored <laughs> yes just needed to spice it up for you yes uh and, and that's a really that's a really interesting one um because uh, I, I i i recently changed roles slightly from from looking after xe and xf to looking after all the pace vehicles um because i i, I particularly wanted to uh be involved with um, with iPace because uh, not only is it an all new vehicle, it's an all new type of vehicle. 
So we've got to launch the vehicle itself and we've also got to deal with all the issues around electrification and getting that across to the, the business and the retailers and the customers and getting them all the information they need to know. So it's almost two launches in one. I mean, how much pressure is there with the iPACE? Because it is such a new thing. However, the way legislation is going and the way, Frankie, if you if you believed everything that was written, then everything will be electric in the next two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then in, in a month later, it'll all drive itself as well. But let's skip on the driving itself. Yeah, but we, th- there, is, there is this public perception on the one hand, oh, electric cars are no good. And on the other hand, if you read the press as well, well, everything's going to be electric tomorrow. Um, and that must be tricky in, in, in the business. It, it is, because we've not done anything uh, like this before. I mean, other, we've, we, we recently announced the, the Range Rover plug-in hybrids, uh, and that started the kind of electrification journey, if you like, within, within the business. So that's mm. kind of kicked off all, all the things that we need to learn about. So what do, the, what do the plug sockets look like? Where do I plug it in? How much is it going to cost me? What happens if I don't plug it in? And how do I get a wool box installed? We, the, we're at the stage, the minute of, we not only do we not have all the answers, we don't even know all the questions people are going to ask us. Well, yeah, because, I mean, as you were just just saying there, you're just looking internally from the business. The business is having to worry about, right, we've got a new powertrain, we've got new issues we have to deal with because this is an electric vehicle. And then we have a whole set of new considerations to help potential customers understand what an electric Jaguar is going to be about and what it means to own an electric car. And, I mean, Alan and I drove around the UK uh, at the end of August on our um, charging around Britain in, in an electric vehicle just to see what the situation was like out there. Right now, we're not, not 2030 or 2040 or these these dates that politicians throw out and don't really care about because they won't be around yeah. and have to deal with it. Uh, but but they may give everybody the problems to deal with it. Um, that we would, When we were talking to some people, they were thinking as though electric cars were 10 years ago, where the range wasn't brilliant and the infrastructure really wasn't there at all. And, you know, there's the jokes of extension cables out the back of the car, blah, blah, blah. But then you come across other people who are actually very well educated or who have an electrified car and you're having a totally different conversation of this is great, isn't it? And, and it's, it, was, it was very rarely were you somewhere in between. It was one extreme and the other. And that, that's, that's going to be, I would imagine, tricky and something that's um, occupying a lot of thought and consideration in your company to how to get the message across without without overdoing it, but then getting the right info across. Um, yes, yeah, it, it, it is. So, um, and there's there's not a lot of kind of well-informed knowledge out there. It's it's all uh, as you said. A lot of it is oh, well. I don't think I'll be able to. I'll be able to do my 
journeys and there's stuff like that i need to i do a lot of miles well well how many miles do you actually do oh i do i do i do 60 miles a day okay well is that 60 miles a day in each direction no no i do 30 miles to work and 30 miles back okay well what do you do what's your car doing in the middle of the day or oh, sat in the car park well do you have a charger at work yes we do actually well okay well why do you plug it in at work and then you've got effectively 30 miles each way and you can you can do it all on electricity oh can i yeah and so and, and you see yep. these little light bulbs go on yep absolutely that that and that was the sort of thing we were having uh, you know we we um to talk to you know some people come up and go oh you can only do uh, 40 50 miles can you said no we've just done 140 miles actually and we're just charging now and we we've been here 20 minutes and it's nearly 80 percent, which means we'll get another 140 miles yeah. And people are going, what? Yeah, and that's been two or three hours because of the roads we've been particularly choosing. Um, but if it's motorways, it's easier because there's more charging points. Okay, you may not want to go down the motorway charging route, yeah. but that you have more options on the motorways than you do outside them. And you know, and then people are going, oh, really? And then you can see them thinking. But the biggest thing I think holds uh, electric vehicles back is people massively overestimating what they actually do in their car or they have kept a car for two weeks in the summer to go to the other end of the country and back. Yes. Yes. And it, and it's, and it's letting, it's getting people to understand actually it will still work and you don't drive that much anyway. So this will in reality cost you less, Mm. (laughs) particularly if you're buying new cars on PCP. Uh, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You you actually, kind of get people into the cars as well and because not a lot of people have actually driven a, a proper electric car and it's no. um it's really interesting that the reaction you get um, so what have you got then what, what reactions have you got i mean i know my reactions but what did what have you got from other people I, I'm, I'm interested to see if it's similar to mine um, so um we've like like most manufacturers we've got competitive fleets of so we own competitive vehicles or, or we just go to them and say can we do a swap uh, um and we'll do that it's incredibly grown up of you lot yeah what's going on there <laughs> yeah no, well, it's, i mean we, we all know it happens anyway um yeah well exactly there's far too grown up we can't be having that yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's, it's, it's good fun um you get to drive things that you wouldn't do normally because otherwise you've mm. got to try and go to the rental companies and and they will only have a, a certain uh, spec of vehicle because it works for them. Um, yeah, lucky dip. Yeah, um, <laughs> and the this this industry is fairly incestuous, so you're you're going to know somebody else who works for another manufacturer and you kind of ring and say, "Oh, can we borrow one of these?" And you can have this for well, because they'll they'll probably be as interested in in our product as we are in them in, in theirs. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh no, it makes absolute sense, but you know, yeah. it's, it's just. <laughs> I expect people to be uh, hidden in bushes and going, quick, get it, it's there, it's for sale, quick. <laughs> yes, yeah. so um, so I think, what have I had recently? I, I, I had an, uh, an e-golf recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was interesting because I almost deliberately, it was the first electric car I'd driven. I, I got in and just drove it normally. And I was going, oh, okay, well, this, this drives just like a, a normal car. And, the, and then, <laughs> yes. then I saw the range going down, thinking, oh, okay. This is it was only after a while that I realized I hadn't put it into the right mode, so you get the mm. regeneration. Yeah. And just drop it into the right mode, which is a world of difference. 
Oh yeah, uh, we found that. We found that again. Um, sorry to harp on about our little journey around Britain, but um, we were in the wrong regen mode to start off with, and by the end of the week, we were like I say, we you know 140 miles, and we didn't have a you know we weren't sweating on that. We'd like that's okay. We can go for further if we need to. If the if this charging point doesn't actually work, mm. uh, or the, the somebody's at it, or whatever the problem is. And at once you understand the car, and um, and getting to, I know I think you it, these are definitely a car you can get into a rhythm with. Yes. And once you get into the rhythm with an electric car, it, it's it's a, it almost became a game of oh look at that I've just put some more miles back on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and that's you know that's I don't know I don't know whether that's just an accidental byproduct of it. But I think that helps people concentrate more. Uh, yes, it, it's kind of the, the 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 more modern electrified version of how far can I go and how how what trying to beat my previous MPG, as it were, playing mm. that game. Yeah. Um, but one one of the things I, I liked about the uh, the Golf, and then what did I have recently? Then then we had a, a, an i three, and then a then a Tesla. Because of the way they tend to be constructed, so with the batteries underneath the floor, so quite low down, mm. um, they they handle fantastically well because yes. all the weight is very low <laughs> down. It's like a go kart. It's a wonderful center of gravity, isn't it? <laughs> and, and because the because electric motors deliver all their torque at very low speeds. They are absolutely brilliant around town, up to about 30, 40 miles an hour, which is exactly where you want your performance when you're around town. Because mm-hmm. that's where you want to be kind of nipping in and out and feeling, that's where it feels sporty, not doing 60, 70 miles an hour down the motorway, because any car will do 60, 70 miles an yeah. hour. But around town, there's probably not a lot to beat um, uh, an electric car. No, oh, I've got this little gap in this roundabout. Oh, I've made it easily. Yes, yes. And things like that, you know, safely things like that. Yeah. And whereas with a, you know, with a with a normal uh, internal combustion engine, sometimes there's a bit of lag. You know, whatever you don't quite get it all right, and you say, oh God, I've put myself in a bit of a tricky position here. You know, there's a toot of horn and all the rest mm. of it. But it's it's much easier to get that right in a safe manner with an electric vehicle. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing I liked as well, because when, when you're driving in full regen mode, you only need one pedal. Because if you yes. lift off the accelerator, <laughs> you stop. And it's quite- well, that's it. If you, if you know where that is, it's wonderful because you can judge up to junctions and lights and everything perfectly. Yes, it's, it's, it's like driving a, a, a big-scale electric car. It's, mm. it's, it's great. And it, and it becomes the journey... I, I, f- I found that driving around an electric car in full regen is a much more um, fluid journey because your foot's not moving from brake to accelerator and you can say you, you can feather the throttle a lot better. And it, 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 it's a, a mixing metaphors there as well. Um, you can make smoother progress than you would do perhaps um, otherwise in a, in a normal ice car. And it, it, it I agree. was brilliant. It was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, well, I found it a more relaxing drive mm. because of all those points you just made there. I found it a much more relaxing drive. Um, and I think, again, you know, I found that I was paying a lot more 
where I felt I was paying a lot more attention because of the regen and stuff like that. And because I was being um, careful and looking further ahead with, uh, you know, okay, if I start to take my foot off now, the regen and the, the car braking itself will kick in, a, you know, now. So it means I can come up smoother to the junction rather than I would and I have done since when I've gone back into a normal combustion engine where I, you know, you feel, I don't know if you felt this, but I feel, uh, and I've heard this from other people, like I'm wasting, I'm, I'm braking, but there's nothing coming back to me. That's that's a waste. Yes. I've wasted things. I should be gaining from this. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. I've, I've, I've heard that one, one of the issues with electric cars is around the brakes. It's not that the brakes wear out. It's that they get so little use. It's stopping the discs going rusty. <laughs> because yes. because you can get such good braking under regen that um, the brakes don't get an because it's not on the brake pads yes. the regen just for anyone who doesn't know the regen is not uh, on the normal brake pads that you d- you use to stop the cars yes. you, you you effectively turn the motor that's giving you forward repulsion when you take your foot off uh, turns into a generator and it puts electricity back into the batteries. So you're you're getting electricity back for free. It's, it's brilliant. So what size is the I-Pace? Is it comparable to the E-Pace or the F-Pace? Uh, neither. It's so. It's <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> it's it's about it's about the same length as an XE. Okay. A uh, bit narrower than an E. E pace and somewhere uh, in height between an XE and an E pace. Because okay. one of the things you want to do with um, electric vehicles is minimise the, the frontal area because that's what mm. it gives you your gives you your air resistance and and creates drag which slows the ve- which means you can't go as far on a on a charge as, as possible. Um, so the, the designer spent an awful lot of time with the engineers working out how to make this car as slippery as possible and as aerodynamically efficient as possible. And that drove, if excuse the pun, um, an awful lot of the the design that came out of it. Um, so form is following to a certain degree function? Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, that's interesting. So, so one of the things that uh, is particularly noticeable if, if people see the pictures of the um the i-pace rear end it's very different to something like uh, an f-type which is very kind of curved and uh, um with with lots of kind of flowing curves off the back the i-pace is a very flat rear end with sharp edges and that's done deliberately for for aerodynamics because you want the the air that's flown down the side of the vehicle or over the top of the vehicle to break away very cleanly and very sharply so you don't get turbulence off the back of the vehicle which creates drag and slows it down. Oh, okay, right, okay. Um, yeah. So the, the, That's interesting. The, so there's lots of things that the designers have put into, into that vehicle to make it um, very, very aerodynamic and, and that's kind of driven the, the, the design and the shape of it. So is that, um, internally, has this car caused, I'm not going to say, I don't think conflict is quite the right word, but has it caused, um, 
has it, has it been difficult for the company because it is such a big leap into a new technology and it's something you've not been you've not dealt with before that there are there are elements or people that are a little bit i mean i presume the company is a bit nervous because you know it's a it is a fresh step but a nervous this step is happening now i mean I mean, that's sort of tied into the question I had earlier about the pressure to get this right in the company. I mean, it, it must be it must be on the one hand thrilling to do because it's a, it's a brand new product, absolutely brand new product that you never dealt with before, uh, and you're you're one of the team that helps bring this to to be. But on the other hand, it's a brand new product that's never been dealt with before. <laughs> no pressure to get it right, everyone. <laughs> um. Yes, I mean the, uh, the the company is uh, is is committed to uh, to producing this vehicle, but you're right, it is it is a big investment and it's something we've not done before. So there's lots of kind of workshops and work groups going on and saying, well, okay, have we thought about this and what do we need to do for this and make sure we're ready and to to try and make sure we've captured all the. Uh, all the questions that we're going to get asked and all the things. Have we, have we thought about everything? Have we missed anything? Um, and there is, of course, there's, there's lots of uh, work going on to try and maximise range and, and everything else and deliver the market equation. And um, But I think the, the business is very positive about it. Um, and we've had... Because we, we we showed the the concept vehicle uh, just over a year ago. Now um, we did that uh, virtual reality reveal. I think it was in was it in uh, LA and Geneva at the same time, which went down really well. Um, so people have people outside the company have kind of got used to what to to what it is um, and what. Uh, what to expect? Um, we we're fortunate to be able to take the uh, the concept vehicle to Goodwood Festival of Speed this year, which was brilliant because we we invited all the people who've placed deposits and uh, keep me interested and uh, signed up for the thing. So I well come and have a look at it, and we got these people down and we gave them a little tour around the vehicle and talked to them about it and told as much as we could. Obviously, still some things are still <laughs> still confidential. Um, <laughs> but people in balaclavas, <laughs> Jaguar and Boss Jack balaclavas will come down off a special black ops helicopter yeah. and take them away. Yeah. So, we, but we, we, we people if people have put down money to to to, to buy this vehicle, they have put their 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 faith in us about yeah. uh, eighteen months ahead of when they're likely to get the vehicle. So. We want to try and be as open and honest as we can within the realms of feasibility. Um, yeah, because because you know these people are, are are going on faith in the company going in a different direction. Because you know it's it's not like it's a two seater sports car. Mm. That let's be fair, you do have form in. Yes, you know, yes. There, there is a bit of history. Done a with those. <laughs> so you know, people, this is this is a this is a big move for the company. Sorry, I'm not trying to. You know, suddenly crush you with pressure. <laughs> I do keep going on about this, but you know, this SUVs and electric cars are, are huge now for companies, and 
I find it fascinating to see different approaches to it. And I, and I think, um, without being too complimentary, because we're British and I can't do that for too long, even though, you know, it's a British company, uh, but the way that Jaguar has approached the, the I-Pace and telling the world it's going to happen and then, you know, in a in a fairly, con- you know, it, it, it comes across as a very controlled manner that there's, stuff is released along the route towards the final here it is uh that helps us to helps us to understand where the company's coming from what setting expectations on what the car is going to be uh, and all these things and you know not not all companies approach it in that way is that a a jaguar thing or is that uh just a, a, a big thing about jaguar land rover now that that's how that's how the the company approaches uh, any any new items like this? That this this is how we do business, uh, or is this a Tata thing from you know even higher up, as it were, or from a more global thing that says right, this is how we like to do business? Um, I mean, we, <coughs> we we do have some kind of corporate mantras and things, and 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 being transparent and honest is 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 one of those. Um, uh, but I, I, I think with with iPace particularly, we wanted to kind of um, we want to say this is the direction we're we're, we're going. Um, that we've got this the ambition to deliver this, and we, and, we, and we can do and and will do. And we kind of had the opportunity to do it, um, and and also kind of steal a bit of a march on some of our competitors as well um which is always nice to do if we can do it um um, (laughs) so um and also it's it's been good for the company on a pr point of view aside from the fact that it's a new it's a new vehicle it's got us thinking well i hope it's got people thinking about jlr in a in a in a different way because it wasn't that many years ago when we were. Uh, then it was it was it was it was Arthur Daly and sheepskin coats and flat caps and things like this and mm. and Clarkson rolling around in big jags and and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And that's not what we are anymore. Um, at least I hope. I hope so. It's so what what, what 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 do you think Jaguar are now then? To you, what are, what what is Jaguar to you? Um, we. I, I would hope that we are now a, a lot more relevant to the the general car buying public. Um, we we've introduced uh, new models which we, we hope appeal to more people. So, uh, XE for example, uh, the E Pace uh, will appeal to a, a new audience. Um, but then we've got things like Discovery Sport as well. And and the evoke the evoke was a big turning point for the company. We yeah. did, we do about I, mean, I saw some figures here. I think we do about twenty five thousand of those a year now. And and Discovery Sport isn't all that far behind. So if you think back to what we were doing a few years ago, when it was it was big crossovers, Range Rovers, Discoveries, uh, and then big. Um, sporty saloons we're, we're in a very different place now to, to where to where we were where we were then 
Um, mm. and, and hopefully we are now more relevant to, to more people and we'll get onto more people's choice lists uh, and they'll, they'll consider us. Um, well, it, seem, it seems to be working if you look at new car registration figures. Let's forget last month because everybody had a bad month. Yeah, last so month. it was a bit of a shocker. But, yeah, well, no. It, uh, no, I don't want to go into that because I, I bore people <laughs> on the new show about it all or get depressed enough about it all on the new show. But, you know, for many, many months... It was going up and up, and not just in little numbers either. You know, we're not talking 100 here or 100 there. Big numbers up, big percentages up. Uh, and, you know, and then the, the percentages were remaining big, but obviously that's on increased numbers. So, you know, it's even bigger then. Mm. And and that's that's got to satisfy, uh, satisfy you personally, but satisfy the teams involved that you go, we, we are getting this right. We, we are doing something right here because it is capturing people's imagination where they are, uh, they, they, they want these vehicles. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and, and also it's, it's kind of hopefully repaying back the faith that Tata showed in us. Cause let's not forget they Tata virtually rescued us from, from bankruptcy, not all that many years ago um, and put a, a load of money into the business and, sorted out the financial issues and then said, right, okay, you sort it out, now crack on and make some some, some lovely vehicles. Well, I mean, I, I have to say that the JLR Group and Volvo, the way that both those companies have been rescued, is the right word, rescued, financed, and then seemingly from the outside allowed to get on and do the things that the potential was always there for, is fantastic mm. from from a you know someone who's interested in the car industry's point of view because it means we have more options now. We have more real, realistic, good options, not just you know a rebadged something or other, not just you know we've we've stuck a different body on top of an old whatever. You know these are these are real viable options across you know in their markets for the people they're targeting, and that's. That's heartening to see, considering how many years things were not, again, I'm going to be nice, not managed uh, in a way that allowed that to flourish, mm. shall we say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Volvo have definitely got their mojo back, and they are they're producing some brilliant vehicles now. Um, and uh, and, they, and they've kind of made some very, uh, not so very bold decisions, but... Um, They've kind of laid their stall out. And go right. We we are now only doing four cylinder engines, and uh, and they're not all going to be electric. They are still going to produce, producing internal combustion engines, despite what some yes, news reports quite. say. But <laughs> they they are heavily going down the the electrification um, uh, route with the four yep. cylinder engines, and they're they're producing some brilliant vehicles at the minute, um, and some really kind of exciting designs as well. Around the, but the, but that that must yeah. But you talk about exciting designs, and they are. I think the, the designs they've got coming out are, are, are gorgeous. But let's be honest; it's not like you're not blessed yourselves. Uh, yeah, we've got a fairly good design team. <laughs> yes, they're, 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 you got one or two. You got one or two wielders of a crayon who are not too bad. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they've got, they've got a bit of history. So I mean, because because I mean, if we talk about you know 
going in a direction that not really been in before. The F pace was a big step. Uh, it was, it was, yes. Um, for, for for Jaguar to do that is is a you know it was again thinking of just the general public um, and maybe quite a few who in the motoring corner of things. It's a big move away from, like you say, the fast saloons, the two seater sports cars, this sort of stuff to go. Okay, this is our, we're setting our stall out. We still think we think we can do. Jaguar, but as an SUV. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, and for it to be positively received as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I mean, uh, Ian Callum's team, uh, I think, had a a, um, a a a good, a kind of clear view of what they wanted uh, out of that vehicle. They they wanted it to be. Um, well, they, they used the term. Um, grace, space, and pace, which is something that um, Sir Williams Lyons used to describe Jaguars, and they said, "Right, okay, if we're going to do an SUV, we, it's got to have all those three things." So it still still looks like a Jaguar. It's got the uh, the kind of Jaguar hallmarks of a kind of long bonnet of of its character being captured in. And three, maybe four, strokes of the pen at most, um, and and it and it ties in with the rest of the range as well. Kind of there's hints of F type in there. And of course, it's got the the familial uh, grille on the front, so it it, it looks like uh, an XE and an XF, um, and the other bits and pieces that tie together. So they weren't going to produce a a boxy SUV. It, it was they set out to create a practical Jaguar for the family that would still go go fast if you wanted it to and and drive well and be uh, an enjoyable place to sit uh, as, and, and spend time in um, so they, they they spent a lot of time um, doing that and getting it right um, and it so far it seems to have it, Paid off. Uh, I think it's, it's well. This I, summer, Cornwall was full of F paces. Uh, right. I, I can vouch. <laughs> uh, was it was it Gaydon on Sea by any chance? Yes, we, we, we do have a few um, with with a lots of um, registration plates starting uh, OV or. Like yes, that, uh, there was a few of those, and there was people towing boats and things. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, it was heartening on the other, you know, on the, to see. So many of them out there. I mean, I knew the figures, but I live in quite a isolated little town. So you know, I, and I don't get out much. So it's not often I get to see a real reflection on what people are buying and own and things like that. So to see them on the road and being used was uh, was was good. From you know, because I I'm not a million miles away from the Halewood plant and things like that. So to see a local business that supports the local area so much and has so many people in there is brilliant. You know, I, much as I knock and I do knock many, many things about the motor industry, I don't want to see people out of jobs. I just want people to do it better. Yeah. So that's where I'm picking at it from. So, it, you know, it's great to see that the, the effort that's gone in to bring something out like that. I mean, it was the barrel roll, wasn't it on the reveal? That's uh, for that one. Uh, wasn't F, there? F pace was the, the loop. 
Yes, loop, sorry. Uh, and, then, loop. and then the barrel roll was uh, E-Pace down at um, London. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, okay. Uh, just, just to go slightly uh, to one side here. As SUVs are such a, a big market thing and more and more people are buying them, is there still a future for cars? It, just a normal cars? Um, because, you know, I... I I think the XJ looks fantastic. I really do. And I hope you continue to make, if you're going to replace it, you make something similar like that. You know, a large a large Jag seems to be, and I almost did the Jag, mm-hmm. but a large Jag seems to be something, you know, I feel the world needs. Okay, I don't have the cash to pay for one, so I'm not really the target market here. But, but you know, is it... Is there still market for normal cars in in what seems to be becoming the world of the SUV? Um, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I mean, in the past, we've been we've been very much a a UK and Europe centric company, but we're now a, a much more of a global company. So we have to take into account a lot more of what places like China. North America want um, and China want uh, often quite different things to what Europe wants mm. um, so for example in China um, long wheelbase is, is much more popular than here because people why is that people want to be driven in the vehicle if you've oh, made okay, it right, in I've China got, yeah. you have somebody drive you around yeah got it so yeah, okay. so over there the focus is for some vehicles at least, focuses much more about the rear seat comfort, the rear seat package, rear seat features. The driver could be sitting on a on a on a cardboard box sometimes. But, um, um, but it, have you received bullying in the workplace? <laughs> Is your seat not heated? Call this number. Yes. Um, so the, the different markets want different things, and um, um, so China is still uh, more orientated towards the big saloon. Don't get me wrong; mm-hmm. SUVs are taking a, a massively increase in there, as they are in most other parts of the world as well. Um, but why do you think people feel think an SUV is the way to go? Why do you think they're popular? Uh, practicality. Um, the uh, almost all SUVs are hatchbacks, which means they're easy to get uh, uh, buggies in and shopping and uh, all the things you want for your active lifestyle in and out of the back of. Um, they're a bit. An estate can do that. I know, and, and you, you've you've chatted to me on Twitter enough, and you know I'm biased towards an estate, but an estate can do that. They can. They can. The other thing which. Um, SUVs offer is a higher uh, driving riding position so um, uh, people might feel they have a better view of the road ahead Um, they might feel that they're safer higher up that's not necessarily the case Um, but but perception is you know nine tenths of the law (laughs) and and, and if and if if sitting six inches or a foot higher up means you get to see something a, a a couple of seconds beforehand which stops you having an accident well that that's good um but it there's there's 
some of it will be down to trend and fashion and things like this but the, the, there are good solid reasons why why people want them and most people will probably will probably only have the one car so they wanted to do everything they want to do yeah, in their lives that's true. yeah um yeah. you're right there are some people who uh don't want an suv because what it because of what it stands for and they they want a um a traditional estate vehicle mm. um but we have seen uh, a move away from traditional estates into suvs no. <laughs> the, I mean, the, uh, don't make them harder to come by well we've, we've, not you personally i'm saying <laughs> we, we, we've, we've just reintroduced um sport brake uh, again i know and, and it's a lovely vehicle i i drove it uh, i drove it again last week for the first time in in, in a few months and it, it's just fabulous so uh, as soon as i get a chance i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna have one of those for my next my next car and it's just a lovely lovely place to be it does everything i want it to do um, and w- when we brought out um, F-Pace, um, we, we thought, well, we, we are going to see some people go from the old sport break into F-Pace. And some did, but some people looked at F-Pace and go, no, that's not for me. I'm going to wait for the new sport break or buy another estate and whatever else. So mm. now that we've got sport break out there, we, we're contacting those people again and say, well, you didn't go for an F-Pace because you said you wanted an estate. Well, We've got one again now. Do you want to have a look? Um, <laughs> yeah. And we are we are getting some people uh, some people coming uh, back into sport break. Um, mm. So th- there is a market out there for it, but the, uh, the 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 increase in SUVs and crossovers has been absolutely phenomenal. It's massively outstripped the growth in the UK car industry. Mm-hmm. more than any other sector so i was looking at the figures the other day a and b sector so that's city car and and small hatchbacks they've reduced the biggest loser has been mpvs um, Good. <laughs> and, and, i really don't like them i don't like I, I I don't like what the public was sold i don't like what we were sold we were we were sold a vehicle as promised, it could do, it would meet all our needs, and it didn't. Whereas the, I think an SUV hits that better, because we were told, oh, you can fit seven people and go off on holiday. No, you couldn't, because invariably, the, if you had seven people, there was no luggage space. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I think the the, I think the SUV has. Uh, or when the SUV's been brought out and the way that people have marketed that and thought about the design, they've learnt from those mistakes. Mm. Uh, sorry, that's my my bugbear. One of my one of my hobby horses that uh, I get splinters from sitting on. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I mean, there, there there will be there will be some people who who need six seats, seven seats on a regular basis who will still go for uh, an MPV. But there's lots yep. of there's lots of seven-seat SUVs and, and crossovers out there now that will do yes. the same thing. I mean, particularly if you don't need those all those seven seats on a on a regular basis. If the, if the, if no, the back two are occasional. But will will uh, this this super success of the SUV? Do you think that has 
the that the risk is that some real sub niches might get killed off like the mpv it's going to get to you know it'll be a point where there isn't you know or the estate car and we can see that with with several manufacturers they don't produce estate cars now and you know or they don't bring them to britain and they keep them elsewhere or whatever but is is there a risk that these little sub niches get sort of killed off because the expectation is well everybody just wants an suv type thing um because their business is at the end of the day what i'm trying to say is their business is at the end of the day they've got to make money they've typically got shareholders who go hang on I've invested in you, so I make money as well. <laughs> you need to be making decisions that will make sure I make money. So there's this pressure, all the you know, every level down, to make sure that everything works all the time. And you know, it never does because it's life. But I just, I just get worried that you know, companies will start going. Oh, we just don't make enough off that, even though we make a profit or whatever. Let's just kill it and worry about uh, making. Um, making SUVs because we've heard certain manufacturers where they've just said, "Oh well, we're just going to keep going on with these 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 particular cars because we know they make us oodles of cash." Um, it it may happen. Um, I mean, it all uh, within any motor manufacturer, people will be making difficult decisions uh, about which products and vehicle lines to introduce which ones to keep which ones to which ones don't make enough money um uh, all manufacturers don't we don't have bottomless pots of money to plow into r&d we have fixed numbers of um of engineers and designers and people to build them and and capacity in the factory um so there will be across the whole industry, there'll be people making difficult decisions. And whether that's a decision at a global level, okay, we're not going to do an estate or we're not going to introduce a right-hand drive estate in the UK because that market's disappearing or or that, but we'll introduce it in North America or China, for example, because we can sell enough of them there, then those decisions mm. are, are probably... Uh, going on as as, as we speak um, but you're right we, we have seen uh, an explosion in the in the number of niches and sub niches of different types of, of vehicles um, out there do you think do you think some of its experimentation by some of the other other manufacturers because it seems that um, the car industry seems to be because of the the long timescale to get a car to market. It's very difficult to experiment. It 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 seem you know in, as in let we think this new vehicle this new sub sub niche is the way forward for many people. It it seems very difficult. For car manufacturers to be that experimental, because of all the things you just said there, you know, there's all these people that are employed. There's only so much money that can be allocated to these different pots. Um, and, and I realise I'm asking you to speak for the whole car industry. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> so I've upped the pressure. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, As the voice of the car industry, of the global car industry. Uh, Andy, what does Andy Masson Andy say? Andy Masson said, um, <laughs> I, I don't, is the, is the pressure? Yes, because you've got to, every manufacturer's got to try and get the return on the investment they put in. But it, it, it does work out sometimes. Look at, look at what Nissan did when they introduced the first generation cash car. They did away with the Primera, they did away with the Almira, or was it the Tino? The Almira, I think it was. And they introduced the cash car and they absolutely cleaned up. They generated virtually overnight a, a new crossover segment and, uh, and that worked fantastically well for them. Um, but if you're kind of looking at it on, if you, someone said to you a couple of years ahead of now, right, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of our our kind of rep mobile that 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 was the Primera, and we're gonna get rid of our our best selling uh, hatchback, and we're gonna put this new taller vehicle in. We're going, what are you doing? But it worked for them, and it worked fantastically well. Um, so they it, it it does work, and they well, kudos to them. It uh, it, it worked out very well. They've since reintroduced the Pulsar, but um, which I don't, I don't quite get. But um, yeah, they, this is several steps back on what they said they would do. But yes, uh, um, I'm not sure it's for our market mainly. No, but that's one of the things. If if they're building it anyway, and I have got have to put it into right-hand drive because presumably it's right-hand right. drive for the yeah. for the the Japanese market, then it's a relatively simple uh, conversion to do it for a for a, a right-hand drive. UK market or because I can't remember where that was built in. That's mm. been built in Sunderland anyway. Uh, okay, could be. Uh, sure. So if, if it is, then that it makes it even easier, sort of thing. Yeah, but what, one of the other things that manufacturers try to look for is is kind of the white space between uh, between sort of market segments and and things like this, because if, when you when you're looking at the proposal, are we going to think of doing this new vehicle and uh, we, we're going to go up against into this sector of the market against these competitors. It's an, okay. Well, hmm, we're either going to have to grow that sector or steal volume of our competitors, and that's quite quite a difficult case to make. Sometimes, if you're going to grow the sector, well, what's the evidence for that? Whereas, if yeah. if you if you say, well, actually, we think there's a bit of white space here that falls between these two, then we think we can go in there and we'll have it to ourselves for a little while mm. and, and, and pull people from one sector into where you are. Um, and if you're not particularly strong in that sector where you are, uh, where you're taking people from, then you're automatically going to take, vehicles off your competitors and have them for yourself so i think that might be one of the reasons why we've seen lots of uh, sort of fragmentation of, of the market uh, and people um coming with more and more niche uh vehicles to drop into these little white spaces in between mm -hmm. yeah. do you enjoy your job uh generally yes um, obviously, either there are there are there are some days that are better than others. Um, yes, okay, <laughs> but but overall, <laughs> overall, yes, it's it's fantastically exciting. Um, we I, so what's what's the bits that really float your boat then about what you do? Um, getting getting out and talking to getting talking getting 
I'm talking to customers and retailers. The um, I, hopefully I'll, I'm speaking for the whole of the product team. Um, in that one of the one of the highlights of the year for us is getting to Goodwood Festival of Speed and actually spending four days talking to customers because we well that's the that's the British Motor Show now isn't it, it? it is yes the de facto British Motor Show because we we don't get nearly enough time talking to the the people who actually spend their money on our cars um, and the opportunity those four days give us is it is invaluable um you're running around with a dictaphone <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, yes i mean one, one of the i mentioned that we had the um uh the ipace concept there and i kind of mm. made a note of all the questions i got asked and things like this and as soon as i got back i could feed it straight back into the engineers and the and the the global team who are delivering ipace and the electrification oh, and things okay, like this, yeah, and, yeah. and and it's brilliant. And and having the chance. Here's to, what we didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> to quote Mr. Bunsfeld. Um, <laughs> and um, and the the other the other nice thing because where we sit in uh, in the product team is about halfway between the customers, the end customers, and the engineers who actually build the cars. So uh, you can kind of reach out and touch either the customers or the engineers um so you can you can be talking to an engineer one day and then a customer the next day or vice versa and you get a question oh, that's so cool and, and and you get you get um you get a question from a customer go well actually i was speaking to one of the engineers yesterday and this is why we do that or or vice versa you get a question is well actually this customer said this 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 and this and you can feed it directly back, and and it's one of the most valuable and interesting bits of um, uh, the job um, that you you can get out there and, and and talk to the customers and give them good information, well, hopefully good information, um, and <laughs> and um, uh, and and also pass that directly back to the engineers, and and it does have it does uh, have an effect. But that that must be so cool. Um, I mean, not only uh, what I was saying earlier about the being involved and produ- giving somebody a thing and then seeing their reaction, but it, it's being able to to chat to them about that and knowing, you know, and and, and like you say, being the interface between the between the two the two ends of the spectrum, mm. really, uh, and being able to see it all the way through because you're quite a holistic. Um, it's like Dirt Gently's detective agency yeah. now. Uh, the holistic uh, view of it all, and that that must be really really fun, because so many so many jobs people do they're in an isolated little silo, and yet you get to see not only details but the bigger picture, uh, and that must be fun. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, one of the other things I I've been involved in a, a lot over the past year or so is. Is kind of the, the taxation and VED reform and, and WLTP and, and things like this. I know you and Alan have talked and about How, how has the WLTP um, affected things? Oh, uh, it's. Um, if we had some clarity, it'd be a lot easier. But it's. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, all right. So, so new yeah. thing has been dropped in, and we're hoping that it. 
it sort of comes out in the wash. Is that what's happening? Well, WLTP is, is not new news. It's It's been on the cards for, for a long time now. Um, but uh, it started to come into the effect at the beginning of September. And from next September, all new vehicles registered in the UK have to be retested under WLTP. But there's still an awful lot of um, kind of holes in the regulation, but there's an awful lot we've not been told from the regulation that we that we that we have to do and the impacts of it and 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 when when will we when will the government start taxing on WLTP as opposed to the existing um, uh, emission standards and what does that mean for for businesses and what does it mean for us and and things like that so it, it's it's very difficult trying to second guess what's going to happen on top of um things like the uh, the diesel demonization and everything else because mm. it's uh, one of the things which is probably going to happen with with wlt because the, because of the the test is a lot harder and it's conducted at a higher speed over a longer period fuel economy is going to get worse and CO2 is going to get higher. So that then has a knock-on impact for things like company car tax, which is based on CO2 emissions. And if I go back to the point earlier about people who are signing up for three to four-year contracts on a vehicle now, well, what does this higher CO2 mean for their for their bottom line? Um yeah. Are, are they going to take the approach that the government did with Dieselgate and say we won't penalise the people who've had a car that's got the um, uh, th- that's got this uh, cheat device in, uh, even if it changes after getting a software update, that that won't be a fault? Or are they going to say right after this date it doesn't matter what you know if it's a car within this range, you're now you're now going to be hit by this? Um, so it's that sort of clarity that would be uh, helpful, perhaps, to manufacturers. <laughs> yes. I mean, e- even down to things like, you know, if you go into a car showroom, you've got mm. those generally called fridge sheets. They're the sheets mm. with, the, with the coloured <laughs> bars on and things like this. Yes. It says how efficient it is. Well, at yeah. the minute, the regulations are that they can only be shown using the NEDC figures, which are the existing ones. So there's got to be a change in the regulation, the European labelling regulations. They get it. So it says, yes, you can actually start quoting on these new WLTP figures. Mm. But if the, if the if the government's not going to start taxing, for example, on VED and company car tax and things like that on on WLTP until further down the line, then well, when do we actually have to start showing it? Because if we're showing two sets of figures, the old ones and the new ones, well, that's going to be a recipe for consu- for confusing the consumer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but do you think, in principle, the WLTP is a is a good idea? In principle, let's forget how it's being executed quite at the moment. But uh, the because if I understand it correctly, the idea is to give a more realistic, real world driving results. Isn't it? That's that's what the idea is supposed to be. Correct. So, 
the, the, the current test is NEDC, New European Driving Cycle. It's not particularly new anymore um, because it's been around <laughs> for quite a while. But it, it was it was designed to be a, a level playing field against which all manufacturers could test their vehicles for comparative purposes. But like any test, people get better at passing the exam, if you like. Yes. <laughs> um, and what and what's happened is that the the difference between what people get in the real world and what the official figures that we have to quote are we don't have any, they we don't have any choice we have to quote these figures the difference yep. between those two is is has got wider um and so and that's generated probably rightly some um uh, unhappiness and they, well, I, I i thought i was going to get this but i'm not getting i'm not getting anything yep. near that much so the wltp test is is longer so NEDC is about 20 minutes NED so WLTP is about 30 minutes it's also tested at much higher speed with shorter stops um, okay so it should uh, it's got more aggressive acceleration and deceleration as well so it's working the the engine a lot harder so what it should do is reflect um, it should be a closer reflection of what people are doing in the real world. It's still a lab-based test. Yep, and we, because it, you have to be, otherwise, you know, how can you get something consistent? Exactly. Yes, because so many. You, you can't. You can't be judging someone against something else if it's not the same conditions. Exactly. Yes. So many things can affect the the uh, the, the, the test, the temperature what sort of mood the, the test driver is in all sorts so it has to be a a, a consistent test for fair it's not fair otherwise yeah, you know it, it, you know much as people are happy to knock manufacturers and knock the results on the uh, NEDC and all that it's not fair if we're trying to say this is something you're going to be judged against it's it's got to be you know it's got to be comparable yes ab- absolutely the the other thing which WRTP is going to introduce is um, uh, is better clarity on options and things like that. At, at the minute, are uh, under WR, I'm sorry, under NEDC, vehicles which fall within a certain weight range all get given the same CO2 figure. What WRTP will do for each vehicle or powertrain, you will test a best case scenario and a worst case scenario and then every option you add to the best case scenario will nudge it a little bit closer to the worst case scenario so for example okay. if you you mentioned bigger wheels earlier on if you go for a bigger wheel then you're going to probably increase the weight of the wheel but you're also going to increase the rolling resistance so you could be paying, say, £800 for a, a bigger wheel, with new design, but that might also add two grams of CO2 to the to the two grams of CO2 to the vehicle. So that's going to have an impact on uh, how much VED you pay or how much benefit in kind for a company car tax buy you're going to pay as well. So by people are going to be forced into remembering what ride comfort's all about. Sorry, I've not driven a Jag. <laughs> 
So I don't. I presume that's, that comes as standard. But, you know, with many, there's many manufacturers out there. That you, they've got the run, run flat. You know, two millimeter low profiles, and people are driving along shattering spines. So they'll be forced by having higher sidewalls. They'll have to have comfort. Crowbarred back into. <laughs> yes. So, so it's. I mean, it's going to be this situation where we're almost. Every vehicle that comes out of the factory will have its own unique CO2 figure. Oh, spreadsheet people are going to have a field day yes. with all the drop-down menus. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's fantastic. It's going, to be, it's going to be really confusing for for every for everybody. So, for let's say, for, uh, well, to be fair, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, to just cut you off there, but the. People in the showrooms or brokers for PCPs are going to have to work really hard to make sure people understand all this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, so on, on PCPs, or if you've got a if you've got a company car list and you're allowed up to a certain uh, monthly allowance or CO two, uh, you can say, right, you can have the vehicle, but you can't have this option or that option because it tips you over a boundary. That sort of thing. Wow. So it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be Crikey. really complicated. But I think, I think we, we do. It's it's a good idea, I think overall, because we do need to more accurately. Um, we we need to give more accurate figures of what people should actually expect from the car. They, they um, yeah, the the idea behind this is to is that the consumer will be better educated, better off, and that's that can only be a good thing, really. At the end of the day, that you know, if I'm going out to buy a car, that I have more information to my fingertip to allow me to make a better decision for me and my needs. I think that can only be a good thing. How it's being actually executed. Ugh. I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult, and, th- and there's there's lots of challenges for the industry as a whole, not just for the manufacturers, but also for the leasing providers and the big fleet mm. owners about how they how they how they communicate this, how they manage their fleets, because it could have big implications, and, and, and maybe what we'll see is um, a change to right. There's a there's one of twelve red. Cars, pick one. They're all identical. Yeah, yeah, because that, that was my immediate thought when you were you were saying there about you, but you can't have these specs, is that now people are going to be told this is the car and this is the spec and that's it. Yeah. There's there's no choice. Right? You can't pay more for it. You can't add on. This this is it. Otherwise, you are outside of your zone, yeah. and that's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Anyway, I've just looked at the time, and uh, I am... Honestly, I'm very appreciative of your time, even though I've been waffling at you for so long now. Um, I would like to move on to the quickfire questions. I, I, I could I could talk to you for hours more, but that would be unfair on you. But um, so I want I would like to move on to the quickfire questions. Otherwise, you're never going to escape it. Uh, so I will move on to the number one that I always start with, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world. Uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier: electrification. I think that is going to be... I hope so, considering what you do. <laughs> yes. I think, I think that's going to be one of the biggest changes that we are going to see in the industry in, in the near term. Um, it, it's going to change so much. 
and, and I think we're, we're getting pretty close to a tipping point um, in, in perception. I noticed when Nissan recently rolled out the, the brand new Leaf, um, people were talking about its design as a car rather than its design as an electric car. And mm. that, that just kind of said to me, oh, actually, okay, it's we're, we're getting to a point where um, people are accepting of this. Um, and I think Tesla have done an awful lot to to, to move uh, kind of electrification on and make it more acceptable and get it away from the kind of um, gee whiz and, uh, and milk float perception because they're, they're anything but that these days. Absolutely. I, t- I totally agree. I think uh, Tesla uh, and Dieselgate, um, I, and I, I would argue happily with anyone, uh, that I think Dieselgate has done more to move the industry towards electrification than Tesla, but Tesla has opened everybody's eyes to realizing there is a, there was is another way. Mm. Um, I may not agree with everything that happens as a company, and I won't go into that. But uh, from a, a an idea point of view, and uh, the concept of an electric vehicle being a viable thing. Um, I think they, they've done a they've done a great job on on bringing that to the that idea to the masses. Um, it's now, I think, up to everybody else to educate the public that it, electric cars are not just Tesla. Yes. So it's it's not just a hundred thousand pound. There are realistic cars you can own at money that more people can afford that are absolutely viable as an everyday car for your normal use. Mm. And and going round Britain in one really brought that home to me and made me very, very excited about the technology and the possibilities of them. Uh, and uh, by no means am I, uh, and I know you're not, but by no means am I uh, anti-combustion engine at all. I think, that, I think for a long time they're going to work together alongside each other. And that's uh, brilliant to be able to dip in and out of either of them and get the best of both worlds. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, question number two, which is what currently worries you about the motoring world? Uh, well, I think I think we touched on some of this earlier. So it's uh, things like uh, WLTP um, uh, regulation without uh, without necessarily the, the right level of consultation or regulation without uh, people realising the implications of what they're doing. So I, I, I was heavily involved in the VED reform, which came in beginning of, of April. Um, and that was a, a really daft bit of, of legislation. VED needed reforming, but not in the way it was. And it's Mm-mm. it's very frustrating that, that that was kind of imposed on the industry at very short notice. They said, right, well, you, you've got it comes into effect on the 1st of April and um, crack on, make, get it done. Because it's not, that wasn't simple by by any means. No, and things like the jealousy tax being thrown on top as well was not helpful. Uh, no, yeah, that that is, that... that Sorry, whatever it's technically yeah, called, that's all I call it, is the jealousy tax. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the, the supplemental rate for vehicles over £40,000. 
Yeah, yeah. If, if you if you break that down, it spells jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. That 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 was particularly. Uh, uh, no, no, I better, I better choose my words carefully here. Um, that that was. It's hard on quite a few manufacturers. That yes, but but also it's uh, it's targeted. It disadvantaged certain types of vehicles. So uh, electric vehicles tend to be expensive because of the the hardware costs and the development costs. So you've got the situation where a Tesla, for example, emits fully electric, emits zero CO2 while in use, but Mm. because it's over uh, £40,000, will pay £310 a year in years two to five for VED. Whereas you've got something like a Ford Mustang with a with a V8 engine in it, putting out, um, uh, I can't remember, is it, is it 200 grams or something of CO2? But because it's only, because uh, it's less than £40,000, will only pay £140 a year. Yeah. That cannot be sensible and it's sending completely the wrong message. Um, to to the public about um, trying to get down our CO2 emissions and and, and protect the environment and things like that. It's just a very poorly thought out piece of of legislation. But we've historically got that because there's, uh, on the BBC News website, uh, running over the weekend was papers have been released about the original push for diesel and the reasoning behind that and the actions that, that... um, the um, uh, the particular ministries took to make sure that it was done in a certain way, even though people knew that um, or were aware whether they appreciated the level of awareness they actually had or whether they appreciated how bad it was, but they, they, they were aware of um, how the emissions were not good for human health. Mm. But the focus was on one thing, and you know the, the things like the uh, toxicity charge in London. Alan and I have banged on about many times in the in the news show uh, that uh, you know it just it it's level one thinking, and that's what seems to be missing so much with a lot of these decisions. And it feels like, particularly in this country, that people are just looking at what's the headline thing. Okay. I don't care what the implications are or things like that below that, or are there other ways we can help to reduce to work in conjunction to help all these things? No, we'll just, we'll just slap some money on. We'll just, we'll just make people pay. That's the only answer. And that's frustrating and, and, and and cannot help manufacturers in any way. Uh, No, quite. I mean, I mean, the, the, the diesel thing is all diesels are bad is a much simpler message to deliver than, all the diesels used incorrectly are not the best for the environment, whilst modern diesels driven in the way they're, they're designed are absolutely fine. But yeah. it doesn't yeah. fit into a, a nice snappy headline. isn't isn't a black and white. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's the problem that we've got. We've got decisions being made on a headline, or for a headline even. So. Anyway, I don't want to go into diesel because I'll get depressed. Yeah, we'll be here all night, won't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, uh, next question. What has been your favourite car to drive and why was that? Um, 
I, 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 and to, that, to be fair, it sounds like you've got some special ones to have <laughs> tried out. Yes, I mean, I, I think the um, the RB three twenty was special for a number of reasons. A, yeah. because of what it stood for, what myself and the team in, in, invested in it, and, and what we came up with, but but also because it was just a brilliant drive. It was so much fun. So that, that'll always, always be very kind of special. Um, my, I'm, I'm particularly fond of my current vehicle. So I, I have a, a diesel XF, which is just lovely drive. I, I, I really like it. Um, what engine have you got in that? I've got the new twin turbo four cylinder diesel. So it's a okay. 240 PS all-wheel drive. It's it's just lovely to drive. I, I it's 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 fab. So I, I should be very sorry to, to give that back when I have to. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, I've lost the keys. <laughs> this is the third week on the trot, Andy. Come on now. Yes. You keep going home as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the the other one is um, is the car I I, I own as well. When when I was at um, when I was at Subaru, uh, my favourite car there was a um, uh, a Forester Turbo. Oh. Um, a, a Mark One Forester Turbo, and I, a, a couple of years oh. ago, I, I I managed to pick up the last of the. Uh, the Mark One Turbo. So it was it was genuinely one lady owner from New. She'd been oh. she'd been doing about three thousand <laughs> miles a year for most of its life. It had uh, Subaru service history. I've had it for nearly two years now, and it's still not even up to warranty mileage. Wow! It's just and it, it was when I bought it, it was completely untampered with. The only thing I've done is, it is, is put a new radio head unit in it. But apart from that, it's, it's completely standard, which is quite rare for, for vehicles of that age. Um, well, now I've come completely off you. <laughs> now completely off you out of jealousy. <laughs> but but that, that is, it's, uh, I, I bought it because it was practical and fairly sporty, and, uh, mm. uh, and my partner thought she might drive this because she won't drive the Jags because they're too big and expensive. Um so, so, so we got that and it kind of ticked all the boxes. Well, it's just a brilliant car to drive still. Um, yeah. It's kind of... Is it Dan Trent who's got a STI? A black... Y- yes, he ha- yes, he's got... He... And he occasionally puts a picture out with the, you know, the bikes in the back and he's gone to Wales or something. I go, oh, I've really gone off you. Yes. Stop showing off. Yeah, um, <laughs> Lewis Kingston has got a, a Mark II Forester Turbo. As well. Oh, in blue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that been, looks lovely. He's been doing quite a lot of work to that. Um, mm. I I've not done much on mine. I, in fact, I, I neglect it more than I should do. Um, but it still works. Yes, absolutely. And and therein is uh, Subaru's wonderfulness and their own self-inflicted problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they just keep going. Why do I want a new one? This one works fine. Thank you very much. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so yes, so it, that that's that's good fun to drive, but I, I don't drive it enough, um, which uh, which I which I regret. Okay, then what's your what has been your least favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, I, uh, I I've got a toss up here between two vehicles. 
You can have two. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, when I was at uh, International Motors, we did the UK launch for the Charade, as it was, the very small hatchback Charade. And one of the mm-hmm. com- competitive vehicles there was a Deu Matiz. <laughs> the Deu Matiz makes a second appearance <laughs> oh, oh, who else, in the show. Who that's fantastic. That? That's the first car that's made two appearances. Oh, dear. But I, I remember <laughs> driving that, and I put my foot down, and the only thing that happened, it got louder. That was it. <laughs> it just made more noise. And it, and it was a hateful little thing. And that was awful. Uh, so what's the other one then? The other one was the the Renault 5 my sister and I saw <gasps> university. Oh, so, but they're supposed to be wonderful. Please don't say they're not. Oh, so they, um, they could be as, as a whole, but the one we had was, was awful. It was a 1.1 five door campus and it could have been what year was um, it uh, like Andrew and Oaks I can remember all the Reggies it was F608 PCP um, <laughs> and okay 1.1 from then yeah that's not going to be uh, it's it's not like a modern 1.1 with all the turbos and everything. <laughs> no I, I can't oh, dear. remember how many gears I think it might have only been one uh, four gears uh, and it was awful. You mm-hmm. just didn't know what car, what sort of car was going to turn up when you turned it on. Some days it could be fine and whatever else, but other times. But it's French, of course. That's part of the joy of ownership. Je ne sais quoi. Yes, you, you just didn't know. But, the near-death experiences. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so that was uh, that was quite that was quite frustrating on a number of for a number of reasons because it uh, you just didn't quite know what you were going you were going to get. Um, oh dear. So that, that, that had to go at the end. Uh, okay, then, uh, which car would you like to own next? Um, I... This is any choice. You can be sensible, or you can be, I've won the triple rollover Euro Millions. It doesn't matter. This is this is just purely fantasy. So. Mm, well, uh, I, I'm i really looking forward to, get, to um, getting hold of an I-Pace properly. Um, mm-hmm. But... Correct answer. You still have a job tomorrow. <laughs> one, one of the things we did, we did, we did when, I, when I first started at uh, JLR, we did this cool wall that all everybody in the team had to do. So it, it, oh, it's yeah. a matrix of sixteen vehicles. The first one is your first vehicle. The next one is your dad's car, and then the other fourteen are whatever you want to pick. You don't. Oh, okay. It could be anything you want. You just have to be able to justify it. So I've got things like a classic Mini on here, uh, an old Honda NSX. Oh yeah. Uh, Renault. Oh, I saw. I saw one of those at the. Uh, sorry to cut you off. The Racer Remembrance. Mm. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, they they are they are just fabulous. And what else we got in here? I've got a Renault Alpine on here as well. Um, mm-hmm. I I really. I, I really wanted a, um, a Saab 93 convertible. I thought they were, okay. they were brilliant. The last version or the one before? Uh, the last version, I think it is. Okay. So the, the more rounded. Not one. the one that looks like the 900. Correct. No, the, the, the last. Okay, yeah, yeah, really that's wanted, fine. I really wanted one of those. Yeah. Um, that was a nice design. But I, I think if, if I won the lottery... Uh, this week, I'd be putting my name down for um, 
an XJR. Okay. <laughs> uh, simply because, because of the theatre for it. Yes. And it's just a fabulous place to do an awful lot of miles in. And it sounds brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm convinced it makes a complete sense as a family vehicle, but I'm, I've yet to, uh, to work out a way to convince anyone to allow me to drive one and test this out but uh yeah i, I just think they're i just think they're fabulous and the noise will be wonderful wonderful so i i thoroughly endorse your decision there excellent. i think that's excellent um right what is your favorite road to drive on um i'm guessing it's not going to be the m6 no no it's not, it's not <laughs> far too much time in my Probably so much time on the M6 in the past. Um, there's one other. I think this may have come up before as well. It's the road from Barla to Trawsfynid in mm-hmm. North Wales. I can't remember if that's come up, but yes, I know the road. Uh, I know the, the road very well. A4212. So it, it winds up from uh, up, uh, up from Barla and then skirts around... The, the lake there in a, in a series of hairpins and sweeping curves and then it it leaves the lake and it then goes off into the hills uh, with some lovely lovely, uh, lovely sort of bends and, and scenery to, to look at. You, you do have to be kind of careful along there um, uh, because uh, of the, make sure you're not speeding because they used to do the um, North Wales Police used to do the um, uh, the speed helicopters and things like that, but um, yeah, they like a camera around there. Yes, yes. So that, they, they do like a camera. So, so that's that, that's that's a lovely road. The other one I I, I like is um is it's in Derbyshire. It grows from goes from Cromford to um, Newhaven. Okay, it, I don't think I've been on that. One. It's okay. uh, it's a, it's it's quite a small road, but it, it starts off kind of winding up um, through the these kind of quite tight. Narrow uh, road through the woods. It's got always kind of dank and, and dark and stuff. And then all of a sudden, it, it pops out onto the top of the moors, and you get these these fantastic um, views and straights that open up in front of you, and you can you can see for ages. And, and it's just a lovely it's a lovely road to, to drive on. So I think probably one of those two would be my my favourite. Oh, that sounds fab. I think I'll have to add that to my list of ones to try out. Excellent. Um, okay, then, uh, what <laughs> what is the most pointless optional extra you've ever experienced? Um, I, I should probably uh, discount anything that uh, JLR offer on this one, but... Um, well, obviously, of course, naturally, yes. Um, <laughs> yes, I always feel this is a bit of a... This, these were a set of questions I put together before I then went through and the... Oh, I'd like to talk to people from manufacturers. Oh, they might not quite like that question. <laughs> uh, so I, I think um, I've, I've seen some people driving around with those front seat organisers, which is effectively uh, a lot of little pockets that that replace your front seat passenger for to put you to allow you to organise things when you're driving along, which probably you shouldn't be doing actually, and you should be paying attention to the road ahead. So, so the the front seat has it, you know, as in facing the windscreen. Yes, yes. I, 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 oh I've, my, seen I've never seen this. Probably oh more, dear. Probably more accessory rather than 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 option. But I I have seen cars driving around with those. I'm thinking oh, mm, if it's that much of a if it's that you need it that much, you should probably stop and look at it rather than try and fiddle when you're trying to drive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, mm. the, the, the other one is probably TV, actually. Um, if uh, if you're if you're in the car on your own, you can't watch telly because you're not allowed to have the screen on when you when you're driving. Um, I I don't know anybody who's used the telly in a car really. No, it does seem it does seem a little bit silly to me. You, you've heard me bang on about eyes on the road and all that anyway. Yes. So yes. yes. Uh, okay, um, last question. Uh, oh no, sorry, penultimate question. Penultimate question is, who do you think I should talk to after speaking to you? Uh, we've talked a lot about electrification this evening, so I think you should probably talk to Tom Callow, if you haven't already. Uh, he's, he's now comms director at Chargemaster. Uh, yep. And he's uh, and he's heavily involved in their EV um, experience centre in in Milton Keynes. Uh, he, he's done other things uh, in the motor industry. I think he was at Mannheim for a while. But I think I think getting his uh, his his input on electrification, what's going on in in that kind of bit of the market, would be would be very interesting. He is on the hit list. Oh, is he? Okay. And Good. yet he is on the hit list. I have not approached him yet, but. Um, he uh, was very supportive. Uh, uh, he helped uh, get Chargemaster to support us on our uh, trip around Britain um, as well. So, yes, I do know Tom and uh, he's definitely somebody I want to talk to, uh, definitely because about the electrification of things, um, because uh, I think he's got an interesting take on it. Uh, it. It's always worth following him on Twitter if you don't already, anybody listening because he will point out where people have um, reported incorrectly, uh, but it's done. It, it's done in an adult way. It's not a shouty thing. It's just like no, these are these are the facts. So could we please change that and stuff like that? And, uh, and also, it's very interesting to hear his perspective on uh, things that get said in the press um, about electrification. So yes, absolutely. Tom Callow is a very interesting person, and uh, that is an excellent choice. So, right, last question before I let you finally go, and you might you might get to your bed um, before Christmas. Um, but uh, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do? Uh, okay, so uh, I'm not on uh, Facebook anymore. I got fed up with that. Uh, so, easiest way to find me is on Twitter. Uh, it's nice and easy. It's just Andy Masson, M A S O N. Um, and um, yeah, follow me on follow me on there. I, I, by the nature of what I do, I can't necessarily talk about my day to my day job an awful lot because it's <laughs> prior to reveal and confidential. So I shall mostly been mostly banging on about uh, cycling and uh, uh, and that sort of thing. A bit of bit of technology now and again. Um, but I, I I do try and uh, sort of put on uh, put on there some of the some of the things I can talk about. Uh, with work. Is that is that tricky? Actually, in all seriousness, the the the, the secret squirrel nature of what you're doing, because there's a, a new vehicle coming to market, and obviously the, there's only so much you can say ever um, until the right time. Is that tricky for you, or is it just second nature now? Um. Yes, it is kind of second nature. You just have to say, no, I, I can't talk about that. There's, I, I sometimes see on my, on my timeline thing 
comments that people make, particularly when it's about JLR vehicles, where I say, well, I could say this, but I'd probably get fired, so I, I better not. <laughs> um, that's, that's, um, that's quite a restraining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I was thinking, oh, you yeah, know, there's there's a few times I've 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 written some replies on Twitter and thought, you know what, I'm just going to delete that. I'm no good. He's going to come of that because I will. Just trying to think what I've what I tweeted then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. But but you must also be desperate to go. You want to know about this this thing this thing it's here this this is amazing I can't wait to tell you but I can't tell you yes, and that yes. must be uh, you know if anything is going to be frustrating that must be frustrating it, 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 it is a bit particularly particularly when we're getting to the to the latter stages of of a project and it's and it's getting close and we know what it's going to like we know how good it's going to be or 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 when we get some feedback from somebody and I was like, oh the the RV setters have seen this vehicle and this vehicle and people go oh what vehicle do you mean uh, oh no don't I probably shouldn't have mentioned that actually <laughs> so it's it's um it's it's a little frustrating sometimes but um you just kind of part of the territory yeah, yeah you just kind of have to learn to keep quiet. Oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not in that then because I don't think I could hold my water. <laughs> as anybody who's followed Twitter will know. Um, well, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm so sorry I've I've waffled at you for so long tonight, but I've had a brilliant time. I, I really could talk to you for hours and hours. Uh, I could pour over your Subaru days uh, and understanding uh, the JLR days and what it what actually goes into getting a car uh, out there for for us to sit there and sit behind our keyboards and maybe make a snide comment or uh, hopefully sit there and go, oh, actually, that's quite nice. Mm. I quite like the look at that, which is obviously what everybody wants to hear in <laughs> in any manufacturer. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate your time, uh, and, and I've had a brilliant chat. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed this very much as, as well. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been, it's been really interesting. Thanks once again to Andy for coming on review and chatting to me. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. If you would like to suggest someone I should ask to come on the show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag, ReviewPod will be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, you can support everything we do at the Motoring Podcast in a couple of ways. Please go to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support to see what they are. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about this show. I want as many people as possible to hear the stories of these great people who come on here. So until next time, that was Andy Masson, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.